Welcome to The Hard Way with Anvil T&D, where three Australian veterans cover everything physical and mental health, business, education, and life lessons learned the hard way. Each episode, the Anvil team challenge themselves, their guests, and their listeners to ask the hard questions, acknowledge their biases, broaden their perspective, and have a laugh along the way. Now, here are your hosts, Dan, Marshall, and Nathan. Beware the dark humor and enjoy the podcast. All right. Uh, welcome to Anvil Lunchtime Live, not at five on Friday. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it is. Okay, um, and we're doing a hardware podcast. Uh, so as usual, we'll uh, basically be going through one of the articles that I have written. And no um, to the end, yeah, no questions to the end. Basically, you can put them up in the chat, but whether you we get to them or hand, not, you have to hold your hand up the <laughs> for the whole time. Yeah, and um, <laughs> classic. Um, so today's another training. Um, series article. So we're up to Anvil Training Series 6. Uh, and this one is following on from the past three training series uh, where we're trying to train for a specific goal. So the first one was health and well-being. The next one was uh, strength. Ne- the last time we did this, it was training for size. And now we're talking about training for power. Yeah. And I think and one of the first subheadings for this article is how do we define power? Um, and I think a lot of people probably, if you were to say strength and power, they don't really, it's kind of just that synonymous for some people. Um, yeah. and I guess in a general sense, it doesn't really matter, but when it comes to training, there is a distinct difference. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do say at the start of this article in the introduction that, um, although these, you can train for one of these specifically, uh, generally you're going to experience some kind of bleeding effect. Um, if I try to train for strength, I am going to experience muscular hypertrophy. If I try to train for power, I will probably see increases in strength. Um, they they do go hand in hand. Um, it is very, I guess it's almost impossible to train for one without some kind of effect on the other. Um, and that's why I've done it this way. That's why I started with health and well-being. And that's why the next training series article we talk about will be training for high performance because I see those two as either end of the spectrum. Um, you have people that are training just because they want to stay fit, they want to stay healthy, and they want to uh, reap those rewards that you can get, uh, you know, cardiovascular health, um, you know, decreased risk of diabetes, stuff like that. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got training for high performance where, um, generally, your health and well-being is not a priority when you're training for high performance. Uh, we're talking like uh, athletes, competitive athletes that um, you know might be at a national level or a, you know approaching a national level, um, even further than that, uh, world-class athletes in whatever sport they might be doing. Um, generally, these people don't really care about the the physical benefits that they're getting out of training. It's great that they probably get them, but these people are willing to push themselves much harder than you would get if you were just training for health and well-being. Um, you know, if you do want to train for health and well-being, you probably want to avoid injury risk at all cost. Whereas if you want to be the best in the world, um, generally most of the stuff that you do is going to come with a, a fairly high degree of risk and you have to accept that risk in order to, to lift the heaviest weights possible or to be on the best football team in the world, you know, stuff like that. So, um, you know, before we get into that, we do need to discuss training for power, which does have its own little place. Um, like Dan said, strength and power do go hand in hand quite well. Um, you know, these two topics complement each other really well. Um, when we train for strength, we are also developing our ability to produce power. Um, if we do spend a bit of time focusing on force production, uh, we will get stronger, much stronger. So, um you know, but there are athletes out there that aren't powerlifters. So I think that's the first thing that I talk about. You know, when you think about pure power generation, um, I guess the first kind of sport you might that might come to mind is um, either powerlifting or Olympic lifting, because both of those sports, you know, have a, an individual person trying to exert as much force as possible on an object that just doesn't really want to move, um, and without maximum intensity without the highest level of force production 
um, they are not going to set a new PB. They are not going to be able to lift a new 1RM. Um, they won't be able to win that competition or perform on the platform. So um, those things do go hand in hand. However, force production or power development also has application um, outside of the barbell sports. So, you know, a, a footballer's, uh, American footballer's ability to produce power means, uh, you know, quicker drive off the line. It means running through someone instead of getting knocked the fuck over. Uh, it's the same with a rugby player. If a rugby player cannot produce force and, um, and you know, maintain rigidity, they are just going to get fucking owned basically uh so the more powerful athlete is going to be the faster athlete the more powerful athlete is going to be the stronger athlete and in sports where there is high degrees of physical contact um you know we're thinking about martial arts thinking about rugby um american football these sports require a lot of you know a, an inherent ability to go from zero to 100 really fucking fast um and then you've got other sports where it might not be as noticeable, things like soccer, just the ability to kick really fucking hard. Um, golf is another one where you might not think that force production is important, but it does play a significant role in the drive. Um, so it does bleed into a lot of different areas. It's not just something that we should potentially look at training for just to lift really fucking heavy weights. It helps with that, um, but mm. it's not... The main goal. Shit, we didn't wear our Hawaiian shirts today. Oh boy! <laughs> um, Everyone I didn't forgot. know what day it was. <laughs> yeah. Um, if we if if it seems like uh, we're a bit out of it, <laughs> we trained right before this, <laughs> and the session was fucking brutal. It's actually um, fairly apt. The session that we did today is yeah. our lower body dynamic session. So the whole purpose of that session is power production. Um, and when we look at you know different types of training, there aren't a lot of uh, sort of classic Western periodization programs that have a power production phase specifically um, because it does go fairly hand in hand with, uh, you know, your maximal strength. And I guess when we're training with, uh, you know, sort of linear or block periodization, it is assumed that to lift the most amount of weight, you will produce maximum power. Um, however, learning to do that, it can be quite difficult. And the ability to to lift at maximum intensity when we're looking at um, power lifting or Olympic lifting can be the difference between a rep that has a very significant sticking point, uh, you know, a rep where you get stuck halfway up or you get stuck at the knees for a deadlift, for example, or you just can't get it off the ground, or a rep that is very, very successful. So when we look at uh, Westside programming, which is, um, you know, conjugate style programming, Westside and a few other places are very, very passionate about um, training power by itself, you know, having a specific area of the week or the program where you do focus on force production. Um, there's a, a couple of different people that have called it different things. Louis Simmons calls it dynamic training. Um, there is a concept known as a cat training or compensatory acceleration training that was developed by a guy named Dr. Fred Hatfield, also known as Dr. Squat. Um, he was one of the first people to set a thousand pound total or a thousand pound squat or something. Um, you know, just this PhD holding fucking strong <laughs> dude, basically. Um, and he was the original guy to come up with this term cat. Um, so CAT, compensatory acceleration training. Um, and then you've got another um, another version of it, which has fucking slipped my mind. It's probably in this article that has to do with um, oh, accommodating resistance. So Dave Tate talks a lot about accommodating resistance, which is used in CAT training um, and it's used in dynamic lifting. Um, and basically the whole purpose of all of these things, you know, there's a lot of big words there. A lot of, you know, I guess uh, pro words or wank words or whatever. But the end goal is to move a weight as fast as you possibly can. I'm um, no, for all, like anecdotally for us, I remember we, when we were still training at our old gym, we had, we went and did a um, deadlift max. And so I think the number that I got for that session was like a 230 deadlift or mm. something when I was still doing sumo. And then we had only maybe just started doing dynamic days. Yeah. Um, or we started just after that. And then after however long of doing that, went back and did the same weight for a deadlift and 
it was the same way, but the speed at which I was able to move it was considerably faster. Yeah, yeah, and um, and there's other places that um, I'm trying to think of. This is the problem with doing one right after a fucking <laughs> squat session where you just try Brand and use cogs, yeah. maximal intensity. Um, VBT is another uh, velocity former velocity-based training. Um, so VBT is uh, training with this like pretty cool little wire thing that you attach to your barbell. It tells you how fast you're lifting the barbell and you're trying to hit certain speeds every time um, at certain percentages. And, you know, you can see there's, um, you know, very successful athletes in Australia that use VBT. Um, and Laura Scro, I think, is, um, you know, she's a, a power lifter who did a um, training cycle where she didn't lift over 80%, I think, of her max and fucking managed to put, like, 30 kilos on her squat. So there is a lot of, um, you know, very significant and successful athletes that have used this type of training to lift a shitload more weight. So not doing this kind of training is basically just um, ignoring a recipe for success, basically. Um, so we'll get into, I guess, what it looks like, why you might train it, um, defining it, that sort of thing. Um, and like Dan said, the first sort of subheading that I, that I put in there is how do we define power? Um, I guess the, the easiest way to go about it is um, there's a lot of coaches that will refer back to this is they always throw, um, you know, Newton's law forces mass times acceleration. Um, in the article, I do say that this is a fairly big oversimplification, um, which it is. It has its place, right? And these coaches that say that force equals mass times acceleration, they're not wrong. Um, realistically, if you want to lift something heavy, you have to do it as fast as fucking possible. Um, it's not always going to look fast. Like when we watch uh, somebody do a max lift, it will either go or it won't. Um, that's the definition of your max. Um, it's a fine line between it being successful and it not. And that fine line is usually crossed with maximal intensity. It's with force production. So, you know, when we lift sub-maximal weights, we don't, we don't really need to use maximal force because it's not at our limit. You know, we're not pushing it as we're not pushing a weight that is right at the top. Um, so it can be quite easy to fall into a routine of, um, you know, just squatting fast enough to get it up. Um, and every rep you don't really get that much out of, um, but you're successful. And there is benefit to doing stuff like that. Um, when we, in our last one, we talked about training for size. Um, it, I was pretty clear about the fact that you don't really need to use maximal intensity to build sarcoplasmic hypertrophy. You can get big muscles without doing things at maximal intensity. Um, in fact, usually you don't have to go that fucking hard. You just have to take the muscle close to failure. And you can do that with eight reps. You can do it with 10. Um, sometimes doing it really slowly is going to get you there faster. Um, a really slow eccentric is probably going to be harder to do than a fast rep. Um, a really good, I guess, litmus test, a really easy test that you can do the next time you step in the gym. And this is a test that uh, Josh Bryant talks about in his book about bench pressing um, is next time you're in the gym, just go and pick up a relatively heavy dumbbell uh, really slowly and then go and pick it up again as fast as you can and just feel which is easier, you know, and, um, and every single time you're going to notice that if you grab it and pick it up as fast as you can, it feels fairly easy. Yeah. Um, that applies to everything. What were you going to say? Sorry? I was going to say if I was to define strength and power, in my own words, and like a, I guess as simple as I could possibly just to, for my brain, um, I would say strength is the amount of force you can generate, whereas power is like how fast you can do that. Yeah. Um, and like that example I gave earlier of use, lifting the same weight but much faster, Yeah. Um, my ability to generate that force was um, explosive as opposed to just a slow grind that yeah. looked painful. Yeah. Um, and if we can lift something faster, we can then lift more. Um, so if you are able to grind through a rep at hundred kilos, for example, um, that generally means that you've probably got some more in the tank. If you develop your ability to produce your maximal power faster, um, you know, what we're looking at 
uh, when we lift weights is generally the hardest point in the strength curve is when you are furthest from the top. Um, for example, in a squat, the hardest point is usually going to be getting out of the hole. Um, the hardest point in a deadlift is probably going to be getting it off the ground, right? So if you can start it moving, you know, logic says that if you keep applying the same amount of force, it should actually get easier to lift because your joint angles become stronger. Um, obviously, when we look at, and this is why, this is why when I talk about force equals mass times acceleration, um, it's a little bit more complicated than just that equation. Um, we do need to look at things like, um, I guess, force leakage and torque. Um, but when you get into all those equations, we start bleeding into like science of lifting and it's different for literally every single human being on the planet. You know, the joint angles for Dan when he does a bench press is going to be different for Nathan. So if we were to sit here and discuss, you know, all the different fucking equations that could apply to lifting, we would be here for weeks on end and we would never really get anywhere because the stuff that we talk about for Dan would be different for whoever ends up watching this. Um, so what you do need to remember is, Sometimes an oversimplification like force equals mass times acceleration can be a very helpful way to structure your training because we stop thinking about, oh, if I put my hands here and if I do this with my elbows and if I do you know, this with my arch and I need to get my feet exactly below my knees or whatever, there's a lot to think about you know, to try and maximize this. If we do a session a week, uh, where all we do is try and move that fucking bar as fast as possible, there is going to be some really significant carryover to your ability to produce max fours, which is then going to allow you to lift really fucking heavy weights. Um, if your goal is not to lift heavy weights, but you are an athlete like a rugby player or a fucking golfer or whatever, and you need to produce maximum force, at certain times, then there is significant benefit to lifting submaximum weights as fast as possible for small reps so that your neural connections become more efficient and effective. And like Dan said, you're not just strong. You're not going from zero to 100 and your 100 is strong as fuck. Like there are people out there whose 100 is extremely fucking strong, uh, but it might take them 10 fucking seconds to get there. And you pull on a deadlift bar for six seconds you're pretty gassed mm. and you needed 10 to get it off the floor it's not getting off the floor right um if you're taking like we said 10 seconds to get to 100 and it takes you three seconds to get out of the hole in a squat you're going to hit where you need 100 percent power much faster than when you actually hit 100 percent power so this is why there is value in um in training to produce power as instantaneously as possible because in a lot of sports you're not given the benefit to get there when you want you know you have to get there fast um, another example is sprinting um, you know if you took 10 seconds to reach your max speed the race is over you know the olympics the best 100 meter sprint time is like 9.82 seconds or something um, if you're taking 10 seconds to get to your max speed someone's already crossed the fucking line you know and you're still warming up so there is a lot of value in being able to go from zero to 100 very very fucking quickly um, and that is why training for power has value you know it is not usually enough to be the best it's not enough to just be able to get to 100 and 100 be really fucking strong. Uh, you need to get there faster than everyone else. So, yeah, especially with the body, the way the body um, manages its energy sources. Yeah. If um, you let something go too long, your body's used up its best energy source yeah. for a quick explosive movement or usually something in strength, it's going to be um, quick. Yeah. Um, so the better you can use that and put all that energy use it efficiently as opposed to letting it waste away essentially. Yeah. Um, and I think you went into that fairly well. By saying, yeah. you, know, you need to get your 100% your strength as you need the 100% strength, yeah. not after. Yeah, so um, that leads us into the next subheading, why we would train power. And I did cover this um, a fair bit just before. You know, it's, um, it's applicable for everyone out there that needs to be slightly better than someone else. Um, and in every form of competitive sport, you know, everything counts, um, you know, especially let's look at rugby, for example. Um, in powerlifting, when you get on the platform, you might be one of, 
I don't know, four or five people in your weight class, um, you're, you're there to beat four fucking people. You know, you only need to be stronger than, and that's like, a, you know, I, I know a lot of people that go to meets and we're looking at age class, weight class, sex, um, or gender or whatever you want to fucking call it. Uh, but in those three categories, it can be pretty easy to just be the only person there that needs to lift in the 105 weight class in the open category um, as a dude, you know, I, and I rock up. And, like, so obviously some categories are more, um, I guess, populated than others. But, you know, to be the best in, uh, I guess, your country at a certain thing and you put yourself in a category where there's not that many other fucking people, um, you don't need to be as good as you would if you were, say, um, you know, I'm just thinking of the over 120 kilo class in opens over in the States. That is probably the most popular weight class where they're setting some really big fucking numbers. Um, if you're in that weight class, you need to do everything you fucking can to win. Um, you know, if you were in the sub 50 kilo class um, and... I'm, I'm just thinking of Heather Connor, mm. um, you know, sub 50 kilos, female. Um, actually, there's probably a lot of people in that class too, but... Um, not quite to her level maybe. Yeah, but not at her level. Um, so there's, you know, there is benefit to being the very best, but when we look at, say, a sport like rugby, there's fucking like 15 people on each side and in the World Cup, there's how many fucking teams? You've got to be better than a shitload of other people because mm. all of those people could potentially fuck with you except for the other 14 on your team, hopefully. <laughs> um, but when we look at just getting on the team, um, how many 24-year-old fucking dudes in Australia want to be on the Wallabies? I mean, I'd say it's a fairly significant amount. So, um, yeah, and you you are there with, what, like 14 other dudes on the A side, uh, maybe some subs. Um, being able to recruit a shitload of power is going to put you above a lot of other people. So it's generally not enough to be able to bench 100 kilos or fucking pass a rugby with a ball through a tiny little hole fucking, I don't know, 100 metres away. That would be sick. That would be amazing. <laughs> it would yeah. be incredible. Yeah. Um, but to be the most powerful person on the field is also going to be, you're also going to be one of the fastest people on the field. You're also going to be one of the hardest people to put down in a tackle. Uh, you're going to be able to pass really fucking far um, in the scrum. You're going to have an advantage. Uh, and these are just examples from a sport that I'm not, I'm not even that familiar with and I don't even play. I imagine the um, the competition to be on a national fucking football team in the states like to be in nfl um the competition would be wild yeah you know, just to go from college level football to get drafted um you know and if you want to be in that i don't know how they do the draft picks i know there's like it's a bunch cool. of rounds it's like a lucky dip <laughs> <laughs> yeah they basically just shake a big hat yeah um yeah if you want to be on one of those fucking teams and, have, you know, you've got to ride through college or whatever and, you know, there's a lot of benefits and there's a shitload of money in a sport like this, um, it's not generally enough to be good. You know, you want to be the fucking best and training your start time off the line in a sprint, training your ability to run through someone else or not get fucking knocked down if you're on the defensive side, this is all power production. So... Um, it, yeah, it's generally not enough to just be able to bench 100 kilos for fucking 20 reps. You want to be able to bench it as fast and as hard as possible because it's going to carry over. Um, if that's not enough reason to train fucking power, I don't know what is. Uh, so how do we train power effectively? Yeah. Um, okay, so I start off by saying it needs to be pretty goal-specific. Um, if you want to have a powerful squat, you need to squat. Um if we look at um, how they train football athletes over in the States at Westside, um, a lot of the squatting that they do, especially for power, is done in a stance that most closely replicates how they will stand on the field. Um, so they're, stand, you know, they're squatting quite a wide stance. It's probably not a full-depth squat, um, you know, parallel at best, because how many people on a f fucking football field need to squat below parallel? doesn't happen. You're wasting time. Um, so we need to understand our goal. Um, if we look at, yeah, powerlifting, it's pretty easy. Just build a fucking powerful squat bench and deadlift. Um, but if we look at other sports, 
Um, I think basketball is a fairly good example because mm. of that video that was floating around of like uh, LeBron or um, I think doing it was LeBron squats. doing squats and he's just got a really fucking wide stance. He's mm. barely hitting depth um, and the internet just went wild. You know, they, they were like, look at this fucking dude. He's a multi-million dollar athlete and his coach is getting him to squat like this. Um, and then a bunch of people, you know, probably conjugate followers piped up and said, you know, the squats that he is doing are the closest he can get to sports-specific squats. You know, we're trying to develop strength and power in a stance that is the closest that he can get to how he would stand on the court. And usually that is either, you know, straight up and down to get maximum jump height, which I'm sure he fucking practices, or with quite a wide stance and his arms out wide trying to cover as much space as fucking possible. He needs to be able to develop power from these two positions. So it makes complete sense to me that you would get him to squat in a stance where he doesn't need to go past parallel because why the fuck would he? He's not going to do that on a basketball court. Um, so we need to look first at what are you going to be doing? Where do you need this power? Um, and then how do we get that? Uh, generally, for most athletes, you can get it squatting somehow. Um, the box squat is a great way to develop starting power, uh, you know, from a dead, uh, dead stop, which pretty much every athlete needs. Uh, if you're sprinting, rugby players, sprinters, whatever. Um, you know, if you're in a scrum, you're probably in uh, some kind of low squat position. You know, so there's a lot of places where the squat carries over. Um, the bench press, if you do a lot of pushing, uh, martial artists I can think of, or um, even rugby players, football players, where they need to have an upper body that's capable of producing a lot of power from the legs and pushing it through. Um, even things like infantry soldiers where you need to be able to take bounds and run through fucking doors and people. Um, all of this is built with, say, squats, bench presses, uh, some version of the Olympic lifts maybe. Um, so you need to look at what's the goal first, just like everything, and what movements have the greatest carryover. And then we look at how do we train those movements. Yeah, I so, see um, in a broad sense, being aware of what you're actually training for is relevant to everyone. Like I think there's a lot of people in gyms that may do things without knowing why. Yeah. Um, and if you were to quiz them and say why, or even if, say, they do do squats or they bench or whatever it is and you go why do you do it this particular way they might be like i saw someone do it mm. someone told me this that i should do it that way mm. or, and especially with things that are like um kind of stigmas or ego stuff yeah. like um people that and it's just a random example people that say um do, benching with an arch is cheating yeah. why, why is it cheating yeah. like, why who said like what do you gain by <laughs> making doing this thing um, what's your point? And so, yeah, I think you on the head. If anyone, if you, someone plays a sport, even if it's recreationally and you go to the gym, think about what you need to train for to be better at your recreational sport. If you just sit in a fucking office chair all day, think about how much you're sitting up and down or how much you're sitting in a chair all day and what you need to do to yeah. uh, mitigate the negative effects of that. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next thing, I th and I think those are all really good points, um, another example I can think of is the deadlift. You know, everybody's favorite fucking lift because they just want to lift the most amount of weight. Yeah. But the, you always see people approach the bar with a wide stance, uh, hands are wide, they roll the fucking bar around on the ground. Um, and all of these things are things done by world's strongest men. You know, when we watched Eddie Hall pull 500, when you watch Thor pull 501, you know, it's a fairly wide stance. It's a wide hand grip. The bar is rolling around. Um, but there are reasons they do that shit, you know. One, they're pulling in strongman. You know, those deadlifts are strongman deadlifts. Those records don't count in powerlifting. Um, they are the most amount of weight lifted, but they're allowed to use straps. Um, they're allowed to hitch the deadlift. Um and they wear a suit for it as well. So for those of you who don't know, they wear a squatter or deadlift suit, and that's generally why they have a wide stance. Uh, it maximizes the amount they can get out of the suit, and it also allows them with these fucking, they're like these big six-foot-four monsters of humans. They've just got really fucking big legs. Um, and then on top of that, they have to roll the bar because the squat suit doesn't allow them to get tight with a static bar. They have to, you know, get tight and then roll the bar in so that it pushes compression into the suit and then stand up from there. Um, so if you are in a, a regular gym, if you're just deadlifting for fun, 
and you're standing wide and you're doing all this stuff with the bar, you're probably looking to hurt yourself. You know, you're not the world's strongest man. You're not seven feet fucking tall and literally 200 kilos worth of mass. Um, and if you ever get to that stage, be my guest, fucking deadlift like them. Um, but when you're, uh, you know, 80 kilo dude and you're just trying to deadlift to build posterior chain strength, then the best way to go about that is to, you know, generally lower the weight, um, have a hip width stance and hands directly under the shoulders and start with the bar as still as possible. Um, if you're a powerlifter and you deadlift like that, you're not going to get very far because it's against the rules in most federations. Uh, whereas, you know, if you're a powerlifter and you're benching with a flat back, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage to all of these people out there that are arching because you just have a greater range of movement. And if you can't lift more through that greater range of movement than they can lift through their couple of inches, you probably need to consider changing it. Yeah, and there's no excuse that will make them care. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they don't give a fuck. They're yeah. lifting more than you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, once again, goals matter, you know, understand why you're in there. Um, if you're training for health and wellbeing and that's how you like to bench press, who fucking cares? Go ham. Uh, if you want to be the best powerlifter in the world, you need to find a way to bench that allows you to do that. You know, and generally it's going to be with a shorter range of movement, you know, so, um, all right. So the next thing I say about training power effectively is it needs to feature in your program. So just like I said uh, right at the start, a lot of traditional linear and block periodization does not have a specific place for power. Um, and the reason for that is when you are just training for power, you can sacrifice other stuff. And this applies to everything, but it seems like um, it seems like this one just sort of gets a little knock on the head because they figure they're just going to develop power when they are going for their maximal strength. So let's say you start with uh, what they call a hypertrophy phase or a conditioning phase, um, and then you move your way into, and generally this just looks like reps and sets, right? You might start where you're doing three sets of 10. A few weeks later, you're doing four sets of eight. A few weeks later, you're doing five sets of five. And then towards the end of your program, as you are peaking, you're doing eight sets of three or 10 sets of one or whatever it might be. And that just means that as you start, you're lifting lighter weights for more volume. And then when you get closer, you're lifting really heavy weights for much less volume. Um, and the idea behind that kind of periodization is that you finish lifting the most weight possible. So when you get on the platform, you're the strongest you possibly be. Um, but a lot of the time, because there's so much volume at the start of that program, speed of the reps is not the focus here. You know, we're looking at like technique or, um, we're looking at tempo reps uh, to maximize hypertrophy. We're trying to put a bit of size on whatever. Um, and then as you get further and further through, you are looking more and more at heavier weights. And the problem with practicing lifting slow for six to eight weeks is what do you think when the weights get heavier? You're going to lift them fucking slow. And when you lift a heavy weight slow, it has a very high chance of failure. Um, you know, like we were talking about before, uh, heavyweights need to be lifted as fast as you possibly can or they won't be lifted at all. Um, so it's very common to see somebody that doesn't specifically focus on power development get to the, 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 um, the maximal strength end of their peaking cycle and a lot of their heaviest reps can look very slow and they may even experience some pretty big failures. Uh, they'll start to fail as they get closer to their 1RM because they've spent a significant amount of time practicing lifting slowly. So when they get the heavy weight on their back, they just lift it slowly because that's what they've been practicing. Um, so step one, it needs to be in the program. You know, um, whether you train conjugate or you train linear, block, uh, DUP, whatever, um, at some stage in your program, there needs to be a focus on power development. Some of that lifting needs to be done as fast as possible. Um, whether you do it once a week, whether you say, oh, one of my squat days a week, I will squat, um, uh, every single squat will be done as fast as I fucking can. Um, and technique sort of takes a back step there. You're literally just trying to move that weight as fast as possible with the best possible technique, but speed here is the focus. Um, these need to be sub-maximal weights um, because when you do maximal weights, it's fast or nothing, right? So um, 
you don't need to focus on intensity so much on the really heavy days. Um, or, you know, maybe you're taking a week out of the month where what you do is cat training, that speed training. Um, basically, what I'm getting at is at some point in the cycle, focus on power. Otherwise, what's the point? Um, the next thing is, I guess, sets and reps. Um, one thing that you really need to focus on when we're doing cat training or uh, dynamic training is that intensity is the key here. So our sets need to be high and our reps need to be low. Um, there is, it's going to be very hard on your body to do a set of eight reps where every single fucking rep is as fast as you can. Um, on top of that, at some point, you're probably going to fucking see serious degradation in technique, so you're probably going to do some damage, right? Um, this is pretty high-risk style training. Um, when you try and move something as fast as possible, it can be easy to blow something out. So if we do much less reps, it has more... Um, yeah, it's, it can be a little bit safer. And on top of that, we're also looking at better carryover to the end result, right? So, um, for example, if I'm a powerlifter and I know I'm going to compete at the end of this peaking cycle, um, I know when I get on the platform, I'm not getting up there to do three sets of eight, right? I'm not getting up there to do an AMRAP. I'm getting up there to do one rep. So the best way to train for that is to do a small amount of reps. So we want that first rep to really count. Um, we really want to practice our first rep. Um, you know, the most common way to do this West Side style training um, is instead of doing, so they, they want 24 total reps and that's based on a thing called Prilipin's table. You can look that up. I'm not going to go into it. Um, but you want 24 total reps and instead of doing three sets of eight, you do eight sets of three or you do 12 sets of two, right? Um, because 12 sets of two is 12 times that we get to practice our first rep. Um, and the reason they chose 12 sets of two instead of 24 singles is I don't want to be in the gym doing 24 fucking singles. But on top of that, um, they found that two, um, so two reps at a submaximal weight at maximal intensity is going to take approximately the same amount of time as one rep, maximal weight, maximal intensity, if that makes sense. So if I put 50% um, on my back and I lift it as fast as I possibly can for two reps, it should take approximately the same amount of time as lifting 100% of weight for one rep as fast as I can because that rep is naturally going to be slower. It's much heavier. Um, so what we're doing there is we are training for the same amount of what's called time under tension as you are going to be on the platform. That's why we do two. Um, it gets like the more you read with Westside or, you know, Josh Bryant or Fred Hatfield or whoever it's going to be that does this sort of cat training, uh, the more complicated it can get. They go into equations where you're looking at total volume over a three-week cycle and how many sets and reps you need to achieve the same amount of volume that's going to get you this amount of total on the platform. Um, but at the end of the day, it to keep it as basic as possible, lots of sets, tiny amounts of reps, twos, threes, even singles. Um, an example might be the session we did today. So this is a good session um, we've been doing this one for fucking ages. Um, the benefits are very clear. Um, you know, we look at, I mean, I can anecdotally tell you that going from a few three-week cycles of working with bands and then just putting straight weight on our backs, um, what used to be extremely heavy for us feels very light. Yeah, every time we go back to straight weight, there's, there's always this, like, Oh, wow, that yeah. was really easy. Yeah, and this is usually it's a weight where you're like, fuck, this used to be my 1RM or fuck, this used to be so close to my 1RM or I used to have to grind through a rep at this and you pop it on your back, you do the same fucking thing you would have done with 50% in bands and it just pops right up. Um, and it's an interesting feeling. It's very, uh, very strange to put what looks like a lot of weight to you, uh, especially if you haven't been lifting for that long. You pop it on your back and you just do everything you would have done when the bands or the chains are on the bar and, you know, you realize, hang on a second, there's something to this fucking dynamic yeah. training. <laughs> uh, there's definitely some carryover. So um, if I was to give you an example of a session that we do uh, that, is specifically for dynamic squats and deadlifts. Today's session is the one we did. Uh, we do 12 sets of two, 50% 
of our one RM is on the bar plus bands. Um, the way the bands are set up is you have a um, choked band on either side. I'm sure there's a fucking video on our Instagram about this. Um, you put the bands over the end of the bar, you slap the plates on, and then you squat to, you know, we do box squats uh, to below parallel, and you do two reps as fast as you fucking can. So you, generally the idea is you control it on the way down, um, you softly land on the box, you release the hips, you engage everything, and you lift that bar back up as fast as you possibly can. Um, you do that twice, and that's one set. Uh, we do 12 sets of two for the first two weeks, and then we do 10 sets of two in the last week of that three-week cycle. Um, after we do that, we do deadlifts, and we do six singles. So um, once again, 50% of weight on the bar, a band over each end of the bar, um, and how you set that up is up to you. Honestly, sometimes you have to get fucking creative. Um, we use a couple of dumbbells and then attach them to the rack, but you can just stand on the band. You just have one band, stand on it, and pull against that. Um, six singles, because with deadlifts, you rarely need to do more than a single, right? We are trying to practice picking that thing up as fast as you possibly can. Um, and then after that, we do some accessories, you know, uh, max reps with good mornings at a very light weight, max reps with RDLs, whatever, just stuff to build the posterior chain to increase blood flow to areas that have been worked and, you know, high-risk areas like the lower back and the glutes and stuff. Um, and then we finish with some core. So the most important part of that session is the dynamic work with the squats and deadlifts. And the most important part of that dynamic work is moving the bar as fast as you can. Um Louis Simmons gives uh, the bar speed at 0 0.8 meters per second. Um, good luck measuring that uh, unless you have VBT, velocity-based training software. Um, ideally, you can just avoid trying to guess how fast you're fucking moving it and you just want to move it as fast as you fucking can. Um, you can generally see if it looks slow, if it feels slow, it is slow, right? So you need to work on speeding it up. And um, that's why we use lightweights is why we use sub-maximal weights uh, because there gets to a point where there's so much weight on the bar where you cannot move it that fast. So you have to be able to move it very quickly. Um, I guess the last thing we should probably talk about when it comes to training dynamically or training for power is um, accommodating resistance or bands and chains. So um, this is all in the article uh, bands and chains are the two ways to do it that are as easy to access as possible. There are things called weight releases, but those are pretty hard to find. Um, basically, the reason we want to put bands or chains on the bar, actually, I'll start right at the beginning. You can train dynamically without bands and chains. Right? Um, you, can, you can train moving a bar as fast as possible without having this extra shit on the bar, right? You just put your weight on and you move it as fast as you can. Um, when we do it that way, 75% of your 1RM is the general guide. Um, if you are new to this kind of training, maybe start at 65% and work your way up. Um, you know, very slowly over the course of uh, multiple weeks, we would be looking at like put 60% on there, next week 65, week after that 70%, the week after that back to 65, the week after that up to 70, the week after that 75, the week after that back to 70. So you're going through these three-week um, undulating waves. Um, the reason for that is because if you are not used to lifting something as fast as you possibly can, it can be very fucking challenging. It can do a lot of damage. Um, you will need to practice control of the bar. Um, when we look at bench press, for example, we're not trying to lift it all the way out and it just keeps fucking going. At some point, you do need to slow it down and stop it at lockout without pulling you back out of position. Um, Doing that is uh, something you have to train. Um, so you need to be able to create a lot of speed off the chest, but then bring it to a halt as fast as possible. So um, you don't want to be trying to do that with 75% of your max. Uh, but general guide for people with a bit of experience um, in lifting like this, if you've got no bands or chains, slap 75% of your max on the bar, do your eight sets of three or your fucking 12 sets of two or your six sets of one. Um, and try and move it as fast as you possibly can each time, right? Um, when it comes to bands or chains, the reason why we use these is because as the weight gets further away from the ground, it gets heavier, which means it is forcing you to push harder the further 
through the lift you get. Um, like I talked about towards the start, um, as you get closer and closer to lockout, your joint angles become stronger and stronger. You should be able to lock it out the closer you get to lockout. That's just logic and physics. Um, if you can't, it generally means you didn't have enough speed off the chest and you're hitting a sticking point because you didn't have enough power to drive through that sticking point. Uh, one of the best ways to train to have enough power is to put some bands on the on the bar and then as we lower it, it comes down a bit faster than gravity, which is a great way to train so that everything with, it, with just gravity feels a bit lighter. Um, and then as you press it off the chest, you have to keep pushing harder and harder all the way to lockout so that when you take the bands off, you just do that naturally. That's just how you bench press from now on. Um, chains is another great example. The reason we would use chains is because with bands, you're anchoring the bar to one point in the ground and it makes the lift very stable. Uh, with chains, there's no anchor point. They are free to swing at the top. Um, a little bit, you know, you can have a little bit on the ground, but it generally makes the bar a little, a little bit more unstable, gives you a bit more of a stability boost there. Um, the problem with chains is they can be fucking expensive. So mm, it's a lot of money for some metal. Yeah. Um, also, once you've tried out bands, everything else will feel different, even chains, even though you're achieving the same thing. I always notice with bands, it, it just feels like someone's trying to pull it down. You've yeah. got the weight and then yeah. someone trying to pull it down as well on the sides. Whereas with chains, it just feels like it's getting heavier and lighter. Yeah. And there is a difference between that. Um, and But they both work and I've enjoyed doing both of those. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you've got the equipment, my advice would be do three weeks of fucking bands, do a week with just straight weight, you know, practicing your cap training with no bar, and then do three weeks with chains and vice versa, alternate until... You're the strongest person in the world. Um, if you don't have access to one, just do, you know, bands, week off, bands, week off. We've just started doing this. I think it's going to be very successful. Previously, I would just do a three-week wave of bands and then back to a lighter weight with bands. Um, the problem with that is, once again, your body does um, adapt very quickly to stuff like that, and you can hit a little bit of a sticking point unless you switch back to no bands. Um, so I think that four-week wave is probably one of the best ways to do it for raw lifters. There are other ways to get around that. Um, you know, chains is one way. Uh, maybe changing the height of the box is another way. Uh, changing your stance can be another way. There's a whole bunch of ways you can vary it while keeping the bands on the bar. Um, however, you know, say you really do want to compete as a raw power lifter and you know you're going to compete with one stance um, or with one grip, you know, the best way to do that is, um, you know, take a week off the bands every four weeks and just try and move 75% as fast as possible. I can almost guarantee you that your max will go up a little bit so that you can then put the band weight up a little bit for the next three-week cycle. Um, I think there is probably some information on how to program this in at least one of my articles. You do give... Um a reference to Dave Tate's website in there as well. Yeah. Um, one of the best ways to and figure out. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. Yeah. So um, there's a T-Nation article on accommodating resistance by Dave Tate. Uh, it's an excellent read. Uh, the Elite FTS Instagram, the Elite FTS podcast, Table Talk, and the Elite FTS website has a shitload of articles on this kind of stuff. Uh, Josh Bryant's book goes into some really good uh styles of cat training for bench press specific lifting, uh, especially raw bench pressing. Um, pretty much every single thing uh, Louis Simmons has ever written is a great resource on how to train dynamically for squat, bench, deadlift, especially if you're an equipped lifter. Um, and Louis, I would recommend for anyone that isn't a power lifter or an ollie lifter and then wants to use this kind of training to get better at your particular sport because he's trained sprinters, track athletes over there, he's trained footballers, he's trained fighters. Um, he uses this style of training to make them better at their sport. So he is an expert in training athletes um whereas you know josh bryant is an expert in training bench presses uh dave tate is an expert in powerlifting you know these guys are leaders in their field so don't just listen to me i mean this is this article is a great starting point on how to train for power uh but definitely check out some of the people that have been doing this stuff for years uh, that's pretty much all i have to say on that uh, the article goes into a fair bit more detail um, it would be very hard for me to cover this in under an hour. Obviously, you can tell I'm just fucking like motoring through as much as I can. Um, this is something that I really enjoy, this type of training. Uh, I'm very passionate about it. 
Uh, I love really fucking around with the numbers and um, and how to get the best effect on the bar, you know, how to build a really powerful athlete. Um, I mean, if these guys are any example, I mean, Dan's fucking squatting, he squatted 210 kilos the other day, uh, bench pressed 160 kilos fucking 12 months ago. That would have been a pipe dream. Mm. Um, I've got clients that another guy low box squatted fucking 205 kilos with an ssb the other day um another guy that's gone from failing 140 kilo squat squatting 180 kilos in like less than six months um it's not all cat training it's not all dynamic um but these articles that i write um this is the stuff that i use when i program these people and every single one of these guys is injured right they're all veterans um they're all you know come from uh, you know a line of work where their backs are beat up their shoulders are beat up their knees are beat up um, and all of these guys are stronger than ever they're feeling less pain than ever and they're loving lifting so um, if you want to get strong as fuck I would recommend having a read of these and then checking out the resources and and getting into lifting cool that's well, all I have to say good <laughs> I'm that's, done that's yeah. good. <laughs> Uh, Rizzy, wrap it up then. It was yeah. good uh, for after such a strenuous session. Yeah. I can't, I, my brain just doesn't work after sessions right. like that. <laughs> there was points there where I was like, where am I? What am I yeah. talking about? Yeah, just who keep, talk, these, just keep talking these, about cat. Who are these people? <laughs> <laughs> all right, cool. All right, thanks to anyone that's watched live or watches this later. We appreciate it all. Um, if you want to check out uh, any other episodes um, or watch this episode again, you can on Apple Music and Spotify. It's called The Hard Way, Amble TV Podcast. And on YouTube, we are Amble Training and Development. Uh, have a good weekend. We'll be yeah. back Monday morning at a.m. for a, another podcast episode. See you then. Adios. Bye. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Hard Way with Anvil TND. This is all made possible by listeners like you, so thank you for your support. If you enjoyed this one, hit the like button and subscribe so you never miss a show. Make sure to visit our website, www.anviltd.com, and check out some of our articles and other podcasts. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, any positive ratings really help. Or if you simply tell a friend about us, that would help us out too. If you have an opinion on something we talk about, we would love to know in the comments. Be sure to tune in for our next episode. And remember, train smart, train hard.